Hello and welcome to the Rubber Duck Dev Show. I'm Chris. I'm Creston. And we are back on Thursday night. It's not Wednesday. No, it's Thursday. Why is that? Well, because I wasn't around yesterday, so we couldn't do the show. So we decided to do it today. So wahaha. Um. Anyway, we are uh, going to be talking about tonight. Um, what is DevOps? You hear that term around all the time, and I, I, most people can't define what that actually is. So we just thought we'd talk about it. Um, but before we do that, a little bit of housekeeping going on here. Um, after tonight, we're going to be taking three weeks off for all the holiday shenanigans, and we will be the show will be back on December eighth, and it'll be back on a Wednesday. That would be fifteenth. I thought, oh, 15th. Yes, December 15th. 15th. Good Lord. Um, Yes, we'll be back on December 15th. And that is, in fact, a Wednesday. And we will be uh, talking about something that we will decide between now and three weeks from now. So, you know, holidays, what are you going to do? It's been crazy busy trying to get all our projects crammed into the end of the year and things done with short weeks from holidays. And, and, and especially different customers and whatnot with Black Friday and Cyber Monday being imminent, as yeah. well as Giving Tuesday. As well as year-end budget money that has to be spent and all the stuff that, that has to go on there. And so, yeah, it's just been been a little nutty um so before we get get into uh, the fun of devops what has your week been like so finally finished and published live the segment builder i've been working on for everyone finally got everything settled with that and new email features to use the segment builder and even have some different features where you can either choose a segment to send to or upload a segment of records to send to, but then you can also exclude a segment. And the reason that's beneficial is because you can, if your objective is to say, send an invitation to someone and you want to resend that to anyone who hasn't filled out the form and registered yet. So maybe your first email gets, you know, maybe 20% or 25% of the respondents to go to register for it, sign up for the event. Well, the other 75%, you want to send them another email later to say, as a reminder to say, hey, we're having this event. Do you want to come? So basically, you could create a segment of those who've registered and exclude it from your invitation list. So then it dynamically removes those people so you can actually set up a sequence of broadcast emails, your invitation sequence, as it were, to invite them to an event, and it will automatically remove those who've already uh, registered for it. So that's some new features I was able to build in using the segment builder. Cool. Uh, in terms of client work, um, a lot of database optimization for some clients with regard to Black Friday, Cyber Monday that's coming up, um, and doing things like you know, full vacuums of, of databases, just make sure everything's set, doing re-indexes to try and some, reclaim some space and make those indexes smaller, more efficient. 
Um, but amazing thing is that I was doing a re-index job for a huge table and one index took five days to do. Oh, ow. Which is insane. I haven't really seen that before with Postgres, but just wow. the type of index it was and the size of the table and the activity that this database had, because I'm doing it concurrently, which means it's not going to block any writes or reads from the table, essentially. Oh, yeah. But it took five days. It was insane. Holy crap. I'm used to hours, but days? Oh, wow. Yeah, normally it is hours, but for whatever reason, I mean, it's the size, it's, you know, terabyte size table. Oh, or, or more than a terabyte. It's, yeah, it's Holy a lot of terabyte size table. Somebody but it's also needs the to type do some data archiving. <laughs> Uh, or <laughs> partitioning, you know, you could Something. either one of the two would help resolve that. Yeah, and I'm going to be having a discussion <laughs> about that. But be that as it may. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. That's so cool. I was. What about um, you? I actually got uh, a project done about two weeks early, which afforded me some time to um, play with some internal administrative things um so part of the code that base doesn't I'm, sound like play to me <laughs> well i mean it is for me it has to do with testing so you know that's my jam oh okay um so it, part of the the code base that i'm taking over is or that that i'm digging into and and trying to work with doesn't have um a lot of of metrics on it like so they're not running uh you know, flog, flay, they're not looking at churn and, and things like that. So I was implementing RubyCritic and implementing SimpleCov on this, this code base, um, which I've used those two things for years to, to kind of get a handle on the, the lay of the land in a huge code base. Um, so RubyCritic actually will give me the, the um, churn versus complexity graphs so that I can kind of figure out where to start refactoring where I want to target refactorings um, but I and I've used that for a long time and I just discovered something today a, a gem called skunk which has actually been around for a while but I'd never run into it before but it's interesting because it takes the the Ruby critic stuff and it takes um, the outputs from simplecov and it gives you kind of a what what's called a stink score, which which I just like, but um, it uses both of those things so that you're looking for things with high complexity and high churn need typically need um, refactoring, but where you want to start are things that also have high test coverage so that it's safer to start refactoring them, and I just thought that was a really interesting concept that I hadn't really thought about before, but it it kind of takes a bunch of different things, you know, like you've got this whole quadrant of high high churn, high complexity stuff that you want to start tackling and adding in the, the metric of what has the code coverage really narrows that down so you can focus on, all right, let's let's start right here and start breaking this stuff down and refactoring it. And it, it it's it's a really good system so far i mean i've been playing with it today but it, um i've gotten a lot of good information out of it and it's 
I was I was kind of happy I ran into that by sheer accident. Okay. So anyway, I will be playing with that some more, and we might have to do a show on those concepts in the near future. Yeah, I think having because you know I've looked at Ruby Critic and the play and the flog and what each of the main it's still a little bit like I haven't really delved into it. So some of it's a little over my head. Yeah. And it can be. And so I think having a show explaining kind of what each of those metrics measures, I can't even think of the terms now, but yeah. Complexity and churn and, and all that different stuff. Yeah. It's, it's um, that probably would be a good show to have because using something like, like, um, Ruby critic is really good for, especially if you're coming into new code base and trying to tackle, get your arms around. All right. What do I need to actually do with this? What are the problems? What are the areas that need work? Um, that's a really good tool to kind of narrow that down. So, um, that may actually be kind of a good segue into our topic tonight, which is what the hell is DevOps? very easy you combine development with operations devops well there you go <laughs> good night folks good night folks exactly so hey andrew welcome to the show man i love skunk love me some skunk i love a good stank <laughs> so uh, i can't think of the person's name now but basically there was it, it was done in a presentation. Someone coined it in a presentation they were doing, and they were doing essentially essentially agile code development. So they were rapidly developing software, but then the deployment of said software was still yeah, call it in the stone ages. You know, throw the code over the wall and wait a couple of weeks for operations to get to installing it. So he was saying, we need a new way of thinking about this. And that is basically DevOps. And much like Agile, you know, you're working very closely with stakeholders. DevOps is meant to allow developers to work much closely with operations. And because here is what my perspective of, you know, historical perspective is you had programmers who wrote code or developers who wrote code or engineers or whatever you want to call them. And they put it, delivered it as packaged software. In other words, installing the software on your machine, that's IT's job. And if you're a packaged software company, like work for Intuit, developing QuickBooks or Quicken or whatever it is, you write your software and then you put it on the shelf and someone else goes and installs it. Or you're writing software and you deliver a CD to the IT department of the customer and they install it on the servers if it's server-based software. Mm -hmm. So you weren't running, the organization had no responsibility for running the software. They wrote it and gave it to customers. Well, now with the advent of the internet and cloud computing and everything, the organization that is writing the software is now managing the software and they're delivering the software as a service. So that is what has prompted this 
oh my gosh, well, if we're actually going to have to manage this stuff, we need better ways to manage this stuff. So, um, well, the way I always kind of thought about DevOps is that's that's the people that stand in the gap between IT and development, software development, and they kind of speak both languages so that they they have that bridge there and they can kind of have their hands in both sides. Well, it's not really people, like it's never really a job description. It's basically yeah. something you do. It's basically ensuring that the software is deployed successfully and managed successfully in an operational manner when you're doing software as a service. So it's those people that are responsible, you know, responsible for that area. So it's something you hope you do. Well, everybody <laughs> should be doing it. So, and what I look on it as is it's basically development spilling over into operations because for years, operations, you know, they had their servers they set up themselves and installed the software on and every um, server was its own special snowflake. And once the programmers got involved, they're Did like, you just say special snowflake. Exactly. <laughs> oh, this is my special little snowflake. He's so exactly. Nice. And it's tweaked exactly to this, do this specific thing. God, and I'm never going to look at a server the same way again. <laughs> and yeah. the programmers got involved and they're like, I don't want to do something more than once. We need to automate all the things. So that's basically what DevOps is. Huh. It's doing what op, op, ops always did is manage the systems, but now it brings automation to everything. So soup to nuts. So, you know, you've been managing your code. Now this is automating its deployment and how it works and everything. So basically the benefits from this, of course, when you automate something is now you have more speed because it's systems that are taking care of things as opposed to someone manually reviewing something and clicking a button. Basically you automate all of that through automated tests and automated deployments and monitoring and everything. So you get speed out of that. The other way is reliability because, and repeatability because it's an automated repeatable process that you should have controls in place if tests fail that it's not going to deploy and things of that nature, you're gonna have more reliability. So it's all the benefits of automation. So it's basically getting the developers involved in managing the servers. They've kind of changed the way servers are managed to the point where we need to automate all this stuff. Yeah, and that's, so, you know, when you hear people say I'm a full stack developer, that almost is, their title is almost kind of DevOps or part of that because they're having to go from writing it to deploying it to managing the servers to. I think that's a little bit different, actually, because I think a full stack engineer, I think them saying I'm both a front end and the back end engineer. That doesn't necessarily mean that they do, doesn't necessarily mean that they do um, deployments and whatnot. Yeah, well, except that uh, 
my thinking on a full stack engineer is that they not front end and back end, but bottom to top. So they're doing that whole stack of up to deployment stuff, but semantics, I suppose. Or maybe that's for another another episode. What is a full stack engineer? Yeah, we'll argue about that. <laughs> we'll save that argument for later. So, so, um, so with DevOps, there's a certain number of practices that are recognized by it. So one of the main practices is communication and collaboration, because that's the whole point of bringing development and operations together to more seamlessly deliver and provide a high-end service for the application you're delivering to users. So it's big on the communication and the collaboration. Uh, the next practice is continuous integration, which we've talked about, basically automating development, developed testing, doing builds and everything, as well as the continuous de deployment or delivery. So actually deploying the code into production in an automated fashion. And I'll tell you the continuous integration part of it, that slice is where I see the biggest problems and the biggest lack of attention in a lot of places because people, they, teams will get in a hurry. And so they're thinking about the devving, you know, the hacking, smashing the, the keyboard, and they're thinking about the deploying, but they're not thinking about the bits in the middle of that, which is testing and, and code quality and refactoring and making sure that, you know, you're not getting ready to blow things up. Which I do on a daily basis, but that's beside the point. <laughs> well, that sounds mostly just like a lack of testing. Well, it, it's a lack of the the continuous integration part, which mostly well, what is other, testing. What but... other than I mean, I mean, it sounds mostly like a lack of testing. But what other integration parts? Well, when you have teams, the the part that kind of falls down there is when you, um. Like, like in our case, we have teams that work on different areas of the product, not like front end right. and back end, but different functional areas that all have to work together. And if you're going too fast and you don't cross test those things and make sure that the changes I'm making, yeah, my test passed, but I've just broken their stuff. Okay. Well, so this is a case of true continuous integration you're integrating right. with the greater environment and exactly. even though your your tests pass for your organizational unit it now fails when trying to communicate with service x or whatever right the way and and everybody should have tests that that cross those bounds if they're interacting yeah. with that and that's where i see a lot of things fall down is if they have tests at all, which there's a woeful lack of test coverage in a lot of places. But if there are tests, they're usually, I'm just testing my bit, right? And so they're not testing the integration. They're actually just testing their code. They're doing unit tests. So, and I see that over Ooh, that's and over another, that's, that's another uh, uh, show we could have is when should you mock <laughs> or how to handle that. True, 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 true. Because I, I have to do that all the time. Make decisions about, it. do I, 
Do I care about testing this here? Because I'm just doing the unit test, so I should mock this out. Or do I actually care how this integrates with the other thing? So, yeah, yeah that's important. And I see that just time and time and time again just falling down in the, in the DevOps cycle. <laughs> All right. So uh, QA the next, to the if... rescue. Yeah, we <laughs> we do have a QA department, and they are busy beavers. Let me tell you. <laughs> True. If they don't catch it, you're in trouble. Because <laughs> yeah, then so the client someone... catches it. Yeah. So we're actually having to chat with the uh, for those who are listening to us. We're having to chat with someone who's on the show, talking about QA being to the rescue and if, unless they don't catch it either. Right. Okay, so uh, the next practice, DevOps practice is infrastructure as code. So basically this kind of came as an advent of like cloud computing where you know suddenly Amazon and other service providers, you could go in and just with a few clicks create your own server instance. Whereas historically you had to order a server from Dell and wait six weeks for it to be delivered. And then you needed to install it in your data center. And, you know, so to get something up and running may take a couple of months. Whereas with a click of a mouse, you being able to get your own server, then suddenly you could start coding your infrastructure and deploying it, excuse me, deploying those or provisioning those servers quite easily and configure, configuring them as well. So the other practice that's involved with this is configuration management. So it's using some of these, it doesn't have to be a cloud platform because there are tools that you can use on premises, but the same concept of in code, you define what your infrastructure is and you deploy it through code as opposed to you clicking buttons in an interface. Again, God, I love to... that evolution. That was cool. that was such a nice thing in the in my career when we when we got rid of the you know the stupid boxes on the racks with you know eighty server things server boxes and just said uh, get rid of all this crap. It's going to the cloud. God, I love that. Yeah, yeah. So so that's one. So that's one aspect. But the th thing about DevOps is taking it further where as opposed to you going into an interface and a human clicking around to deploy a server, you write a script that again, makes it very repeatable, very fast. You just now, instead of clicking something or clicking a bunch of things and filling forms out to deploy a server, you just say, run this code and it builds your whole infrastructure. So that's what kind of infrastructure as code is, as well as configuration management, which is basically doing the configuration required of each of the servers, given the job that they need to do in your environment. So the next aspect is continuous monitoring or real-time monitoring. So again, because you're providing a service and you're running the servers themselves, you now have insight into much deeper insight into what's going on before where you could just throw software out to an IT department. So here you have all sorts of logging, all sorts of, and we've talked about this in different episodes, you know, talking about the exception handlers. That's a form of real-time monitoring that happens. So real-time an exception happens in your application, it sends you a 
notification to say, hey, this happened. So now you can go in, figure out what's going on in real time and make a fix really quickly. Again, going back to that increasing reliability and increasing the speed of de development. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> the next thing that uh, practice is with scalability orchestration. So a lot of tools and platforms exist now where you can dynamically scale your servers up and down. So if you have a load, if your servers start getting load loaded above a particular amount, you can actually deploy more servers to spread your application across more servers and handle a greater load. So that kind of dynamic growth. And then once the load has subsided, you can then reduce the number of servers your infrastructures are running on. So that's another DevOps practice that again, increases this, maintains the speed of your application and its reliability. And again, it's it's all automated. There's not someone clicking, oh, scale it up, oops, scale it down. It The system handles it that you've developed. So, and I mentioned cloud computing as a, as a practice, um, but I think that's kind of a lesser practice. It has enabled some of the other practices that, that I've mentioned. Uh, the other one that's sometimes mentioned is containerization. So that just kind of makes things easier. I don't think you necessarily have to have your application packaged in a container, but it does make a lot of these practices easier. Like when you're trying to scale, uh, do dynamic scaling of your servers, having them the application containerized makes that a ton easier. Which I will tell you from firsthand experience this past weekend that that's a lifesaver in, in huge operations because I had one of the infrastructure guys get on Slack. Gosh, I guess it was like Saturday evening going, Hey, we're just, we're getting alerts of this. They're one of the big clients is doing this big thing and it's ramping things up and we're getting close to running out of memory and disk space here because they're doing this big operation. So I'm going to scale this up. Boom. And it was scaled up and the client never even knew. Yep. Yep. So again, going back to that, maintaining, you know, the benefits in terms of maintaining speed or reliability of your, of the service you're providing to your clients. Uh, another practice that's sometimes mentioned, uh, but again, I don't think this is always a part of DevOps, but microservices was mentioned. So basically breaking your app, but I think you can still be practicing DevOps, even if you're dealing with a monolithic application. But yeah, I think microservices is the thing that's around. Yeah, I, I would I would tend to classify that more as an architecture decision, development architecture decision, more more in the development camp itself. Now deploying yeah, the microservices I mean, and where to host them and stuff is a DevOps thing. Yeah, I mean I, I mentioned it just because in a lot of the definitions as I was kind of doing my research, that was mentioned as a point. Um, so I I'm just kind of just mentioning it for completeness. Oh, the internet's wrong. Screw them. <laughs> well, that's kind of why I said, you know, cloud computing, containerization, microservices. I wouldn't necessarily call the, all of those DevOps, part of the DevOps practices, but they have enabled some of the other things to happen. Right. Like you can get by without cloud computing. You could have on-prem tools that do the same thing as the cloud vendors offer. 
you can get by without containerization. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you could use different tools to do the same thing, um, maybe not as elegantly, but but you could do it. And again, you can have a monolithic versus a microservice application. Well, apparently you can get by for a long time without continuous integration and tests too, but <laughs> as I keep well, no, discovering. I mean, I'm just saying, well, no, it, it's like, for example, you could use Ansible to just newly build a system. Now it will take and then take an image of that system. So mm -hmm. your application is not containerized, but basically use Ansible to like today, you could use, it's perfectly acceptable to use something like Ansible to build a configuration of the server in an AMI with your application. And then that AMI, you just scale out on AWS. So right. officially I've never used, or I mean that example, never used a Docker container, never used Kubernetes, but you're essentially ticking all the other boxes of DevOps. Right. And the, I mean, every, every company is going to do one or more of these parts their own way. Um, you know, it, cause it, it all depends on what your app is, what it does, how it's architected, what people you have on your team, you know? Yeah. I think it, that's a big one, you know, because this is, I mean, this has been happening for a while now, but you know, there are, it's basically DevOps, I think of as pushing automation. It's a continuous move of pushing automation into, again, all the thing, all the things. Mm -hmm. So it's where are you in pushing that automation to as far as it can go? Right. So. And I actually like, like this in, I mean, most of my career, I was in small business, so I was I, either I was the only developer, I was I was it, I was all of it, or um, it was small team, and all of us were kind of working on the same stuff, right? But when I got into big corporate development and into big teams of people to do specific things, that's when, for me, the DevOps got really interesting because you're kind of building these bridges between these different functional sections of the whole development process and, and the different product and things that all have to work together. And you're also getting to talk to like the infrastructure guys and say, okay, um, you know, we're doing this big rollout. And so we're going to need these things. How are we going to automate this stuff? Um, you know, so you get to you get to work with automation of not only deploying your code and those types of things, but automating um, how are we going to do the Kubernetes, 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 what the Kubernetes. K the, the K containers? <laughs> um, how are we going to how are we going to structure the pods and you know do all this stuff and and get it all automated? And so you get to build systems for the systems, which is really kind of cool. And that's, for me, that's when DevOps really got um, exciting and interesting. Yeah, that's, that goes to the infrastructure as code. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what I was saying. Once you put the ops and the de developers together, the developers probably were pulling their hair, automate all the things. <laughs> right. Yes. And, and that's kind of what I was I don't want to do something more than once. <laughs> 
that's kind of what I keep doing is I keep the the infra guys are just like, but because they're happy to just keep doing this the thing over and over again, and I get in there and I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> I've had to do this more than once. That's not okay. I can't just ah. And they're yeah. like, dude, what is wrong with you? <laughs> relax, man. All right. So so those, I would say, are pretty much the main practices of DevOps. But there's also, of course, different tooling that goes along with that. So I would say the most important tool to have is the source control. Because if infrastructure is as code, that all needs to be managed under source control. So again, no more special snowflake servers <laughs> that have their own unique configuration. But I love my snowflake. But you create it in code if you're going to do that. So as opposed to, hey, Joe set up the server five years ago. We don't know how it's set up, but it's it still runs. That needs to go away. But but if I do it with code, that means I can make more than one snowflake the same, and that's not cool. What kind of fun is that? Crap. Well, it definitely increases your reliability. <laughs> Because uh, okay. you know if you're going to deploy a server again, it's exactly the same. So anyway, so source control is a big part of enabling this, as well as, uh, of course, the whole continuous integration and uh, delivery and deployment that source control enables. The other tool, of course, is the CI/CD tools, which we talked about in the previous episode of the Rubber Duck Dev Show. So those are essential to uh, basically automate the integration and deployment. Uh, the other tools are different infrastructure configuration management tools. So like Terraform, a lot of people build their infrastructure within Terraform to not only configure the servers, but also configure DNS and other third-party services that your infrastructure is reliant upon. And then I don't know how much Terraform uses for configuration. Right now I use Ansible. So it's basically using code to configure all the servers the, the way that you need them to do. Some other configuration tools are like Chef and Puppet and Salt Stack, I think, or Salt. So, you know, and there's, I'm sure tons of other tools that do this. And then, of course, lastly, is the tools for doing the continuous uh, monitoring and logging. So those are like the exception handlers we talked about, your application performance manage, management tools, things that, you know, like you were saying, you guys use Datadog. So all of those. Terraform, there you go. Awesome. There's someone well, in I've the... never used Terraform, so I've used Chef and, and Puppet, but never Terraform. So those are pretty much, or that, that that's pretty much what my research has uncovered with regard to DevOps. I mean, pretty much I've been doing this, but I've, it was inter interesting doing some research with regard to this because it helped me make these realizations about why this has happened. And it's basically development, and their tendency to want to automate things has infected 
IT or the operations side. And it's Thank also God. the, <laughs> and in terms of trying to automate everything. And it's also the move from software companies being just, as you say, code monkeys or code jockeys that just throw software to the users. It's now, oh my gosh, we actually have to run the software we write now. Okay, we need to do this differently. I think I want to be in sales. <laughs> so, yeah, so that was pretty interesting. Yeah, and I think, you know, the, the one of the reasons that we were kind of talking about doing this, this topic is, I, you know, over the course of my career, I've been asked a lot of times, and I've asked, what is DevOps? What's Because you hear that word just thrown around all the time. And it's like nobody can really explain what that is. It's like they've picked up this cool term and just like to use it, but they don't know what it is. And um, and I think, you know, it's it's one of those things where do I need to define DevOps to have a good career? No. But understanding the concepts of what DevOps does is a big part of having a successful career. Now, especially nowadays, because, you know, back when I started and we were, um, you know, using styluses on clay tablets and crap, and we were actually boxing. You had a stylus? <laughs> well, I chisel. <laughs> I, I was trying to be, you know, modern, but yeah, it's just a chisel. Okay. <laughs> um, but, you know, when we were actually packaging you'd put a box together and you had to get all this crap printed and print out CDs and well, floppy disks and um, you know, rocks with paper tied around them or whatever your delivery mechanism was. And you know, there wasn't a lot of DevOps involved because like you said, once I wrote the code and pressed it to uh, some kind of delivery mechanism, I didn't care about it. Any, I mean, I, I cared, but I didn't have anything to do with what happened to it after that. Yeah, right. Because it went. I mean, off to you some... basically wait for support to someone presumably called support. Hey, am I having a problem? And you would be contacted from a support person saying, "Hey, they're having a problem doing this." You know. Right. And then you'd see, "Hey, is there a bug?" You know. <laughs> and then I'd say, "Okay, which one of the eighteen different versions out in the wild are they running?" Because not everybody updates at the same time, and it's oh. Man, that was a nightmare. So, yeah, it's it's a much better, for you people that are just getting into development, much better world than it used to be in that regard. Um, not the least of which is you don't have to print a bunch of cardboard boxes to stick your stupid code in and ship it off somewhere anymore. Um, yeah, I mean, DevOps to me is basically, it's, delivering your code like it's you know it's not necessarily the writing of the code part but it's delivering that code you've written to the customer in a high service manner right it's it's all the stuff that's around the code and how it gets used um and how it gets delivered a delivery is one of my one of my bosses my my last boss one of his favorite sayings was delivery is a feature. And, you know, that's, that's very true 
today. I mean, his his point was you can code all day long, but if you never give something to a customer, it's useless. But it, delivery as a feature is really um, more more literal now because we actually have feature tickets for doing things that help the de the deployment process. Not just adding features to the code, but adding features to the deployment. So we treat it as um, features. And it's just all part of the the mechanism. Well, if you can't deliver the code you've written accurately and efficiently to the customers, that's a problem you need to fix. So for sure. Well, if you want to make money anyway, which yeah. Yeah, I like to eat. <laughs> kind of got to have money to do that. Um, so anywho. Um, so yeah, we are going to be taking three weeks of a break because holiday stuff, family stuff, getting ready for Thanksgiving and Christmas and all the things and the junk and the stuff and finishing up all the jammed in end of year projects. And it's just, things are going to be nuts. So we're going to take a three-week hiatus and we'll be back on December 15th. Correct. Which will be a Wednesday. Um, we actually, I just finally, yeah, I'm old. All right, give me a break. But I finally today started up our Twitter account. So we have a Twitter account. So I'll try to put things up there for what's going on. So follow us on Twitter, yada, yada, yada. It's There's a link on the YouTube page at the top do what the young do what you young whippersnappers are doing nowadays and twitter it um but <laughs> twittering it is not a thing it's not <laughs> yes whatever i maybe i'll maybe i'll snapchat it or something i don't know you have to dance on that that's not a career i want to get into anyway i know i'm pretty but you know Anyhow, uh, we'll be back on December 15th. Um, hope you guys enjoyed that show. Pretty sure that I did. Um, if you did, please make sure and mash that like button. Uh, if you're on Twitch, give us a follow. If you're on YouTube, might consider subscribing so you know when we go live and when we do off-the-cuff things, which could happen from time to time. You never know. Um, Thank you for joining us in the chat. Uh, thank you very much, Andrew. Um, thank you. For the kind words. And uh, I, we will, um, well, we'll be back uh, until we are. Um, we'll see you guys next time. And happy coding. Happy coding. Bye. Bye.